What's up, everybody? This is episode 105 of Cool Down Time, the weekly show where two ridiculously busy guys cool down and talk video games. I'm your graphically impressive host of the show, Marco, and joining me is the technical mess of the show, Pablo. Pablo, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, how are you doing on this fine day, sir? No thanks. <clears throat> what? Uh, no thanks. No thanks. I didn't ask. No thanks. Wow. Uh, wow. No, nah, just kidding. No, <laughs> man, I'm doing great. Uh, I got a lot of gaming in uh, this week. Mm. Uh, a, a different amalgamation of of games to talk about here. Uh, but I'm looking forward to talk video games, even though I sound stuffy as hell. This pollen is crazy. I never, you know, how I know I'm old. I'm looking at pollen, like You're like not online Googling pollen, bro. No, I'm like, what is the what is happening here? Because and that shit is high, like the rent. Like, you know, like the red, <laughs> pollen and the red are exactly the same right now. They're so high and they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. You got, you, like I was man. wondering what the yellow powder was under your nose. Uh, that's a little strange. Oh, no, that's heroin. Oh, oh wow. You got powdered heroin. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, man. Interesting. That's, you know, it, it's purest form. In its purest form, it's a tinged yellow. You know, you got to keep it up. They're saying, you know, all the kids are doing all the drugs. So mm. I got to stay young and do some heroin. Wow, <laughs> my bloodstream. <laughs> Not the bloodstream. How'd you go from pollen yeah, to heroin to the bloodstream? How did this happen in a well, matter of a minute in some odds? What's going I on? I don't man? know. I mean, I wouldn't be a technical mess if it wasn't for the uh, fact that I am uh, afflicted by pollen uh, and then wondering why and my it, nose is stuffy. While pollen I do, ain't your only damn uh, problem. It's mental while health. I do powdered also. heroin. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Nobody oh, uh, is going to tell you you're wrong about that, but no, seriously, man. How about you? How how did uh how did everything happen? I know you had a really busy week this week. Oh, man. We didn't play Rainbow Six Siege, which you know mm. I, I'm very disappointed in you. I had to carry on by myself. I'm surprised you ain't uh, itching. You itching your neck like like a like a real heroin addict because you. Oh no, because I was really playing. I was I still played just oh, as wow. much as so I, you're Rainbow Six cheating on me. It's like you don't even care. Oh man, well. To answer your question about how I've been doing, yes, it's been a busy time. Uh, I had my pops in town uh, for about a week, hung out with him. Love him, but he's a lot, you know. Um, thankfully, I'm the normal one of the family. <laughs> um, Ew, that's that's a, that's a scary family. Wow. That's a normal one. That's offensive to my daughter. Wow. So you just attacked my daughter. <laughs> um no, nah, but yeah, I think everything was cool. We got a chance to uh, you know hang out. We saw John Wick, uh, the new John Wick oh, movie. Yeah. Pretty good, pretty good. Way too long, way too long. Yeah. It should not be I three hours. Lost. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of death, murder, kill in in three hours yeah. time. But I will say it might be my favorite of the of of them all. I'm, I'm battling between that one and and the first one as my as my favorites right now. But uh, good times for sure. Keanu, Keanu's getting a little watching. too old to be doing all that though. Yeah, well, he apparently he's gonna be doing it a lot more. So I hope not, because uh, he was waddling through half them scenes. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. I gotta rewatch it because they all kind of bleed together. The only one that stands out was the horse thing in three, mm. uh, and then uh, I gotta watch them all because I I really enjoy those movies. I think they're really well made action flicks. Yeah, man. Well, anyways, Pablo, let's go ahead and get the show started. Pablo, tell us what we got going on this week. 
Well, in this episode, we're going. Uh, we're uh, sorry. Let me uh, start over because my whole brain exploded <laughs> in my in my head. And uh, one of his eyes no, blinked, this- and the other one blinked. It was a weird sight. It was strange. Yeah, it was a weird sight. But you know what? Let's. I'm gonna hit the reset button, and we're leaving this all in. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, in this episode, uh, we're gonna be giving out our first impression on Dead Island Two and Horizon Burning Shores DLC and loadouts. Then another upcoming game has skipped Xbox. Is it a big deal? We're gonna discuss that, and we're gonna give our open critic review roundup to some uh, the new releases that came out this week. Uh, and then followed by that, we're ranking the best DLCs in the history of gaming in our main event of the show, and much, much more. That's right, man. So let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into the first segment of the show dedicated to the games we've been playing since y'all last heard from us, which we call loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, Pablo, I'm glad we got all the heroin pollen references out of the way. It's time to finally start talking about video games. <laughs> and I, I got to say, man, I, I've seen a lot of loadouts uh, on the docket throughout our history of, of, of episodes. This one in particular is one of the more eclectic and, and unique ones. Uh, so I, I yeah. definitely got to kick it over to you first. Walk me through your your week in gaming here uh, with what you got for loadouts. Well, I mean, this week was... A, funny enough, I know your week was really kind of jam-packed. My week was a little light this week, so I was able to get a lot more gaming in. I finally was able to get through Resident Evil 4, which I was... I was basically like two hours away for like a week just because of the timing, but finally got to get through that. And yeah, man, I finally beat it and just kind of wanted to give my closing thoughts on it before we talk about it in Game of the Year conversations, which this definitely will be on there. Uh, but yeah, if there was any uh, any doubt of the quality of the remake, Capcom, uh, Capcom has just been delivering just great remakes and this is solidified to me i think it's the best remake of the two i can say that now confidently i was there uh, kind of struggling with two or th- four being my favorite uh and then once i got through all this four is just is for me it's, it's not a lot better but it is just like you said last week it is just uh it is just slightly better i think uh you know when you think about resident evil 2 mixer x uh creating some special organic moments but the story beats of four are so outstanding and over the top and it's just it's like a summer film like mm-hmm. it's like john wick four but in video game form it's just it's just fun to watch and fun to experience uh leon is iconic the krauser i want to i want to kind of say this the krauser and light spo- uh, spoilers here the krauser boss fight is metal gear solid kojima 2004-esque and all the best ways possible, and that's probably one. That's probably going to be one of my favorite moments of the yeah. year. Just because when I you start going through that boss fight and just layers and layers, and you're like, man, this just feels like a uh, a M- MGS three uh, snake eater boss fight, and I love the shit out of it. Uh, but that, yeah, was, man, I, I, that that was one of the hardest things to keep from you when I was talking about this yeah. game. I was so I was dying to tell you about that one, but I'm like, nah. I, I want to see if he feels the same way or if he thinks that it was dumb. But yeah, you're right oh, there with me on how amazing. I was feeling about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I think a lot of conversations about remakes this year because some of the best games of the year so far are remakes with Metroid Prime, Dead Space, and and this being remake that the industry and somehow has lost its creativity juice, right? Or but I I think with this and with an example like uh, maybe Final Fantasy VII remake, I think if you're able to kind of remake or reimagine a classic 
in modern times, I think that that's I think that that's fair game. I think that's just as creative as anything you can do that's new because the way they reshaped the story. I saw a video of the things that they changed and how seamless they changed it to the point where I didn't really, I couldn't really tell. Now, granted, I can't really I don't remember the game too much, but. Those are the kind of things that when you're remaking something, you have to still appease a certain amount of people. Then you have to uh, introduce new people into it in 2023. And they just did both of those things amazing. Nobody's talking about Resident Evil 4 and how they ruined it by the doing whatever they did with the remake. Everybody's at, well, not everybody. You know, there's always going to be a group of people oh, who yeah, are pieces yeah, I know of shit. But, but it's it's amazing. I, I, I loved every, everything about it. Uh, and then since I finished it uh, and it was early in the week, I saw that X Defiant was having, I got an email saying, hey, the open beta, I mean, the closed beta is back. Uh, they had made some tweaks. I played the closed beta a couple of months ago, which I enjoyed. Uh, at least I should say I was surprised by it. And so I jumped back into it. And I will say, and I, I text Marco, say, Marco, X Defiant could be a replacement for us for Call of Duty. And the reason I said this, because we enjoy Overwatch we enjoy Rainbow Six. We enjoy these objective-based multiplayer shooters. And this is that, but it feels like you're playing Call of Duty. They've revamped and reshaping the entire shooting mechanic to feel like a Call of Duty game. So it really did feel... It's the best feeling gunplay I've had. I've played in a first-person shooter that's trying to emulate the Call of Duty brand. It just feels fantastic. I, I I love it. I love the the fact that it is in fact objective based, a lot like Overwatch. You know, either you you're stopping people from delivering the cargo or you are delivering the cargo. That the that's the main game mode. I thought that was fantastic. And 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 just because of the gameplay, how it felt, a team deathmatch would feel great. Like Rainbow Six Siege has a death a deathmatch, which completely just feels horrible. Yeah, to play. It's, a, it's like attack yeah, on. It's, yeah, it's terrible. It's like attack on. Yeah, it's it's not fun. You don't use your abilities in the multiplayer. None of that. So none of that really makes any sense or or is really fun at all. But this being that, I uh, and the way it plays. I think because we do, I think in what keeps us entertained isn't the mindless TDM, the team deathmatch. It's more of objective-based stuff. And I think when you play hardpoint and all those stuff in Call of Duty, it just turns into a glorified uh, team deathmatch anyway. So the fact that this game is very objective-based, it's looking pretty good, it's playing excellent. It's definitely a game that I don't, I don't think that we'll play and we'll be like, this is trash. I think that we'll, well, at the very least, give it a, a, a go. I don't know if it'll replace Rainbow Six or, or anything like that. But for I think it's a, it's, it's a competent shooter made by a company that is questionable in a lot of ways when, when it comes to doing these kind of things. Throwing yeah. shit at the wall, seeing what sticks kind of marketing when it comes to making these kinds of games. But I think they got something here. Let's see how far it goes because it definitely could be one of those games that drops. People think it's all right, then nobody plays, and then it goes away. They definitely seem to be really that. like fixated on trying to get this beta stuff like down. This has been a lot of yeah. like closed betas, and it feels like this game has been in testing forever. You know? Yeah. It feels different from the first time I played it, too. And over a million people have played the beta itself, and it's had a lot of people talking about it. I know, um, I forget his name, uh, Skill Play. Is it Skill Play? Skill Up. Or, uh, Skill Up, sorry, yeah. On on YouTube, had a, he, he uh, actually did a whole video on it because uh, he played it. He thought it was great. Uh, so it's, it's getting the attention of of a lot of people, and uh, but it, it, I think when it comes, gameplay is king when it comes to these things, and it feels very good. It just feels very good. Nice, um, nice. Yeah. So uh, right now it's only on open beta, but once it, uh, the closed beta, but once it goes to open beta, you know, maybe you could try it, see what you think about it. Uh, and uh, maybe it could be a game that we play down the line. Uh, then, 
at, on Game Pass, uh, mm. a game called Coffee Talk, which I played a little bit of the first game. I thought was super interesting, but just started went back to it. It was episode two, Hibiscus and Butterfly, which is uh, basically think of it like this: you're 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 barista, you're a barista, or um, and and you own, you own this coffee shop called Coffee Talk that is only open at night. Mm. And so you get all the weird people coming in and out. And what I love about it is that it use it's it's based like it's almost like a once upon a time or like a um it's based like in a fantasy world where orcs uh, you know, all those kinds of uh, uh, like fanta- uh, fantasy creatures kind of things. But fa- yeah, 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 have come into the yeah. world, have accumulated to humans. Laws have passed. They've treated them as humanoids. And there's so they have the like the allegory of like uh, racism, uh, political and and um, like political distraught throughout. And it does, never feels ham-fisted in any way because the conversations are sometimes about that. But they're sometimes about work. There's a guy who's a cop. There's a lady who writes for uh, for a magazine. There's a video game developer. There's a and in, in part two, there's a influencer like a YouTube influencer, and all those things could be horrible. Just be plain ass shit. But they're written so well, and it's just a really good time because you're playing this game. You're you're kind of telling people are telling you their problems just like a bartender would. Yeah, and it's written so amazingly well. And then they ask you, "Hey, what do I like?" And it's there's a puzzle element. Hey, I I like coffee, but I also like my coffee sweet with a little bit of cinnamon. So you go into making your coffee, milk, coffee, cinnamon, or something of that sort. And it's a really cool way of of kind of like keeping the the gamification of that in the coffee making mm. and then that conversational piece apart and it just it works so well I, I i love it i think it's it's just fantastic because the writing is so well done and it's it's just one of those things where it's like it's kind of like a zen experience as well you're, you're there you're, you're kind of reading through it it's a good conversation you make the coffee you can do you can do like latte art or whatever on it if you wanted to you, you, you give the person and then they then the patrons sometimes are conversations amongst are conversating amongst each other and uh, a lot of their problems are but yeah so it's not just one-on-one there's like a group of people and they're all talking and they're all giving the opinion about this lady who's having this issue and you're Mm. it's it's just really well done it's not very complex like there's not a lot of like branching uh paths or anything like that but the 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 fail state or whether or not you're able to solve the problem is based on the fact if you're able to make the right coffee in the right way Mm. and so the way they do that so it's so good it's i recommend it for people who like those visual novels because this is the this is the most visual novel this thing (laughs) will get but it's well written Uh, i think marco i know you played um I played a game like it, but uh, I, pl- I played well. I played that one, then and I played a game called Valhalla, which was like a cyberpunk yeah. bartending game, which was almost yeah. like set to be the same kind of thing. Uh, I don't yeah. know if it's the same studio though, but yeah, I I, I think it's yeah. an interesting type type of game if you're just into something that's more story driven, um, and right. that feels a little bit relatable, but also has that like you know video gamey kind of twist to it too. So it's pretty interesting yeah, yeah. kind of things. Yeah, I definitely recommend it for yeah. you, Marco. I know you. Um, if you ever get around to it, uh, I think you should definitely. Uh, you know, I think you should uh, peep it out because I think it's a, it's well done. Um, and then the new game of the week that just came out this week, uh, Dead Island Two. Uh, I said this before, but something to be said about games that are just fun, and then Dead Island Two is fun. And honestly, I am loving this game. I, I well, games like well, games like The Last of Us exist. Uh, in a zombie apocalypse and the zombies are not really what the story is about this game is about the zombies this is about the living dead and i love that shit like uh 
and, and the one thing I would say that's kind of a takeaway, and I'll say it early on, is that I'm a little disappointed because they played it a little too safe. I think they had something special here, uh, and I, they, they took a lot out to, to kind of actually make this game. This game has been in a tumultuous uh, dev cycle for many, many, many years, yeah. but they had something special, and unfortunately, um, they squandered an opportunity to make a really incredible game, but they make they made a fun game enough to the where I'm really uh, into it. Conceptually, um, I guess it's not much different from Dead Island and Dead Island Riptide, other than it being a game called Dead Island that's not set on a fucking island uh <laughs> but we'll go ahead and <laughs> ignore that uh but for those unfamiliar yes yeah, it's a zombie game it takes place days not years after the outbreak which is a unique on its own because a lot of these games are like so many years into the outbreak now this is just like it just happened uh and at the start you pick a player with different stats so on and so forth i pick jacob it's melee heavy first person it doesn't have the 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 parkouring of of like uh dying like light dying light or yeah. anything like that uh but i like it because of the the intuitiveness of the actual combat and and the melee feels good feels crunchy the um the this this dismemberment tech the gore tech on this game is absolutely incredible because it isn't just limited to dismemberment like you're cutting off arms it's actually layers so you can start with a knife start cutting somebody's clothes off and then their skin and there's like a bloody mess mm. and then you cut again and it's you see like their heart in their chest or their or their like intestines and their the heart is beating and or the intestines are just like all out and they sometimes are still alive and like the gore tech on this it they, they definitely just pay, paid so much attention to it um there and then so much so that dying light just released uh update that updated their gore tech uh and it's mostly just blood i saw the comparisons dead island 2's uh gore stuff is beyond that even though it's pretty good though the in dying light this is so it's so gruesome and so disgusting like you see a person who just obviously just turned and you start like beating their head in and then like their skin is coming off their their, their face and then you hit them again and their whole jaw just falls off their face and they're still alive like it's the, the details are so disgusting but they're done so well because not every uh, not every zombie is dying the same so they, they have funky death animations the way they just kind of run at you you hit them and they just drop dead and they slide on the ground like it's it's so well done um it looks amazing it runs great you know no hitches at all 60 frames per second i think uh it runs a little higher than 1440p at 17 something uh if i'm not mistaken it, it's fantastic i i i i the story is a little bit uh forgettable yeah sure but it, the moment told my gameplay is so good and the one thing that i fucking love is that it's pretty linear it's pretty like yeah open segments like this is an open area and there's like three or four mansions you can go into each of those mansions and you can go to every single room you can loot it for everything that that, that kind of attention to detail is so good and those mansions i heard someone say that it looks like they got an interior designer to go in there <laughs> and kind of because those the mansions look amazing That's like dope. I, I just yeah i just stumbled into a a, a a influencer home where it's like you know you see on youtube and you yeah. see the home and it has all the stuff and all that shit is, is amazing it, it the, the the way that the, there's actually influencers in there they're all zombies but the way they're dressed the way they look what they're doing in the area in which you know they died they they really put they did something really cool here uh and it's a fucking blast man i you know, and it's hard for me to recommend any game that's $70 for someone, especially 
in the next couple of the next eight weeks are going to be absolutely fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. But at fifteen to twenty hours, if you guys are looking for a fun time to play, just like a zombie game, I highly recommend it. I didn't finish Dying Light two, but I I want to say right here that I feel that Dead Island two is a much better game. Uh, for me, I, wait wait. Besides the, you mean you didn't beat Dying Light two? Yeah, I didn't beat Dying Light oh, 2, okay, so I can't okay. say whether or not... I got pretty far, so I, I can't tell you whether or not I... Uh, you know, I got 30 hours in, so it's... You know, I played a lot of that game, but Dead Island 2 is, for me, is the is is a better game, all-around game. It just... It, it's better to play. It's it's fun, and that gore tech is fucking incredible. Yeah. I love it. It's interesting. Yeah. Both of those games had development hell problems. And, yeah. and this one turned out to be the, if I had to pick which one of the two would have come out in better shape, I would have picked Dying Light too. but apparently I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, not that it came yeah. out bad, it's just that the, the vision of that game was like severely scaled down. Um, and I'm not saying that yeah. Dying uh, Dead Island 2 wasn't either, but I just feel like the polish seems to be more in favor of uh, Dead Island 2. Uh, instead yeah 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 so yeah i'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm also glad that they didn't go like serious either like i, I love that there's games that that oh, have yeah. fun with this kind of thing still like not every game's trying to be the last of us you know what i mean and that that's a good thing yeah and you know and, and the characters i will say the characters in the game some are good some are cringe no, I'm, I'm sure uh, yeah i'm sure uh the the, sto- the story itself is fine like it's right now just get out of the city you know Mm. You mean people who are who want to do that. You, the, the cool thing is that you do have like relationships with certain people. Like, oh, these are a, group, a, a team you're with, and that doesn't always last. There's things that happen, mm. so there's there's some of that happening. But, dude, it's it's fun. It's fun. It's really it's really fun. I, and, and and I sit on top of the whole thing that I love it, and I and I mean it. I just playing that game is just a joy. Mm. It's just really fun to play. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's it, man. That's I, quite I'm a playing list. all those. Yeah, I'm playing all those games. Um, I I think I I think uh, the coffee talk too. I'm almost done with that. I I've been kind of really getting in on that, and we'll see where where, where dying where Dead Island Two takes me. It's only like fifteen twenty hours. I played a lot of it so far, but you know with Survivor with Jedi Survivor coming out at the end of the week, uh, you know we'll see if I have time to finish it this week. But I definitely want to make time to to, to complete it uh before game of the year. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. No doubt. All what right, you man. got, man? I see some interesting things. I see I know. a new game and a, thi- and a and another game that I'm curious to see <laughs> what you say, man. <laughs> oh man, I knew I knew you were gonna look at that list and go, hmm. Uh, but let, let let's start. Uh, well, with- I, it got a little spoiled because I was on PlayStation and I looked at something and it said recently played and it said you recently played Director's Cut or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, you and been- I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going back to that or if he's actually pl- stuck with it. We'll talk we'll about see. it. We're gonna talk about yeah. it, man. Let's talk about uh, my girl Aloy. She's back with Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores, uh, the expansion that just dropped for Horizon Forbidden West. Um, now, admittedly, because of the week I had with having you know family in town and daughter duty and all that fun stuff, not a ton of time that I had to jump in there. Um, it honestly, particularly because I was playing on a different TV, which didn't have VRR, and I like playing this game in VRR. So part of me was like, let me just wait till I can play on my TV because you know my dad was using the one that uh, that I usually play on. So, but I did get about two hours in which is enough time to kind of get my bearings, figure out what's going on, how I feel about the opening and stuff like that. And I got to say, this is a really, really solid uh, DLC so far. 
Um, it doesn't strike me as being a particularly long game um, add-on. I would say it it it's it's kind of feeling like it's about an eight-hour experience, give or take. Um, but I will say um, the things that make Horizon enjoyable for those of you who like Horizon, uh, like I did, which for those of you who don't know, I kind of hated it forever, and then I turned around on it towards Game of the Year time last year. Much to Pablo's, he was right that he was wrong. Much he to Pablo's right chagrin. Uh, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's what you love. It's what, you know, um, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it takes place after the events of forbidden West. So you have to have beaten the, uh, the game to be able to unlock the burning shores content. Cause it takes you to a completely different place. Uh, and then once you get there, you're basically finding out that somebody from this far Zenith group from the, uh, base game, uh, split from the group that you saw and kind of did his own thing. And so he is in, this place called Burning Shores, which is basically Hollywood. Um, and your mission is to kind of go out there and put a stop to all the fuckery that he's doing to, to keep it, you know, relatively spoiler free here. Um, you run into some new characters. One in particular kind of becomes your sidekick throughout the game. Um, and I have to say that, you know, narratively, it kind of gets going quick. It feels good. Uh, the new enemies that you encounter in that game are all really interesting to fight. Um, it, things feel really dynamic. The visuals are beautiful, um, even more so because this is only a PS5 exclusive uh, expansion, so they took full advantage of the PS5 capabilities, and you can definitely feel, although it's not like a world-changing difference, you can definitely feel an improvement uh, compared to uh, you know the base game, uh, particularly, and it's random, but like the cloud tech in this game is just outstanding. Uh, you can get on a mounted uh, bird and fly through the air and, and through the clouds, and it just, it, it's something of it sounds dumb it'll probably be in in, in one of our like anything goes uh, nominees yeah. for our, our game of the year discussion but it's just so dope to see little tech like that that makes things feel more real um so once again uh gorilla just seems to be the savants of of tapping into the hardware of, of playstation uh so it's a technical showpiece for sure uh and overall it just feels really really tight really punchy uh it, it feels like it's not trying to overstay its welcome so i don't think i'm going to spend a ton of time on it but i will say i think that it is um living up to my expectations uh it's not gonna no pun intended set the world on fire um it is more hey. it is more of horizon um but um i think that it does do some interesting things narratively with aloy's character uh that sets up you know kind of future things potentially from what i've seen so far um so yeah i i recommend it if you're a horizon fan uh if you're not a horizon fan like the pavels of the world this is not going to move the needle for you i'm sorry right, it right, just right. won't do that but uh definitely a good time uh, and i do recommend it for the fans yeah I've heard uh, I heard a lot of good things for people who like uh, who like that game. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome that a year after the game release, there's a pretty sizable uh, DLC. That's I mean, big. that's the way you kind of keep that going. Because I mean, I know a lot of games wait a couple of years, and but but it's really it's really dope that you know Gorilla's really taking care of their forbidden or the Horizon fans, and, and a year later. There's more content and it, and it ain't throwaway, you know. Mm -mm. It's not throwaway content. So not that's at all. Pretty dope. Not at all. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I liked the game so I could enjoy this, but that's just. That I think is, I think you like hating it though. I think you just want. No, no. I I, <laughs> I mean just to kind of you know to, to take the kayfabe out of it. I just not a game that I, I think it's just particularly boring and in no super just kind of plain, and in no way is it bad. Like it's not bad to play. It's not a terrible like game. It's just. I, I can't get into it. I, I just can't do it. It just 
I roll my eyes. I almost pass out every time I play. I'm rolling wow. my eyes back. I'm like, oh boy. And it's nothing. It's not. It's fault of the game. It's just my taste of it. But yeah, yeah, well, cool, man. We all have. So, we all have our flaws, and you have several. Um, yeah, and you and you went from being the rightest you've ever been to the wrongest you've ever been <laughs> in the year. All right, all what's right. next? Because I want to. Let's I talk hear this one. one. Yeah, let's talk about this from Pablo. We're gonna talk about Death Stranding director's cut, ladies and gentlemen. I've been on this show many a times, roasting. And uh, and and toasting Hideo Kojima for many many episodes about how I feel about him, how I feel about his output post MGS three, and I've even gone as far as to call this man a hoe. <laughs> I did all that, but then I started getting a little intrigued. I follow Hideo Kojima on Instagram, and if you follow his Instagram, this guy is the most like oh, yeah. pretentious person of all time. He's he, a lot of it's like a mix of like mocap sessions for Death Stranding two, and like a random screenshot of something he's listening to, or like an album that he found, uh, like on fucking vinyl or something like that. He's that guy, or he's like got his arm draped over a celebrity or an actor or something. He's that person. <laughs> but the more I saw of like the mocap for Death Stranding two, I was like, damn, I feel like I'm. I feel like it's it's a gap for me to have not finished Death Stranding. You know, as much as much as I've loathed the, the game, I feel like as somebody who's followed Kojima so long and admired so much of his work for up to a point, I should I should at least try to finish it. I should at least try to go back and finish it. But I'm like, all right, I don't remember anything that happened. Let me just start over. Because so I think I got up to like chapter five or episode five, whatever he calls it, before I threw in the towel. So I went back, and I have Picked to be up from chapter five, or uh, no, no, I started from the beginning, way from oh, the wow. beginning, Brain all back. the way. Okay, I started over, and I owe Hideo Kojima an apology. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> real quick, real quick. Uh, 2019, I was doing a podcast with a friend of the show, Justin, uh, Nobody Cares Gamecast. And this was 2019. This was our game of the year. And I got so much shit from Marco <laughs> for so many years about Why that shit. Why are you shit. pulling up and, receipts? Like, uh, let me, let me. Anyway, what's up? T- tell me, tell me what, tell me what about, tell me what changed. Okay, so here's uh, the thing. Other than you were wrong. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. With. Yeah. So I, I said this before. I actually said it, uh, ironically, I said it about Horizon Forbidden West. So it's interesting that I'm talking about these two games together. Yeah. But, and they're both in with Decima. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I hated that fake laugh. I, I really did. Um, here's, here's, here's the deal, right? What I said about Horizon Forbidden West when I turned the corner on that game was I, I'm, a, I'm becoming very, very, like, a very big proponent of, like, being in the right mood to play certain games. I think that's really, really important. I think you can't just play a game because it's the new game out and kind of force yourself to do it. Because if you do that, I think you're just going to make whatever you're playing feel more like work than something that you're actually trying to enjoy. And I think for me, I came into Death Stranding originally with two preconceived notions. That Number one, the game was going to make absolutely no fucking sense because the trailers and the marketing were so confusing and convoluted, which they were. I'm not going to go back on that part. 100%. No, for sure. And number two, it was was Kojima's track record. It was coming off the heels of MGS5 being unfinished and MGS4 being the disaster I feel like it was. Um, And just so not having a lot of confidence that he really knew what he was doing anymore. So I came into Death Stranding as a full-blown skeptic, and I don't think that I really ever 
blocked all that shit out and just played the game to try to take it for what it was. And that's been a problem I've had on a handful of occasions with Horizon Forbidden West, ironically, being one of them. So coming back to it, Pablo, was interesting because it feels like I got all that out of my system now. Okay, I said my piece about Kojima, what I think about what he's done, blah, blah, blah. Let me just see what he's trying to do here. Okay, and I, what, what I realized through his Instagram, and half the reason why I brought it up is because he's not really trying to make a video game-ass video game here. And right. I think once I once that penny dropped for me, and I realized he's not trying to make a like a a gamey game here. He's trying to no, tell no. something that's more artistic, and he's trying to be more cinematic. It's almost like an interactive movie kind of a, of a feeling more than a gamey game kind of thing. That yeah. kind Especially of the way the story is structured. Yeah, and that's what that's what turned me around because then I'm like, oh, I know what he's trying to do now. That's why it's not you know, video gamey in this way, or there's not a lot of combat and it's just a lot of running around. Everything kind of started making more sense. And then I started looking at the game differently when it comes to the way the cutscenes are are put together, like the cinema, the cinematic flair, like, Oh, I see why he framed it that way. Oh, you know, I see why this shot that he did right here is interesting. Like I started looking at it with a different lens and I realized, Oh, this is actually kind of, kind of cool. But then I started learning more about the lore of the game. I started really digging in and, and going into the data thing and reading like the interviews from different people to learn more about this world yeah. and the, you know, the chiral network and the Death Stranding and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so part yeah. of the reason why I didn't get through Burning Shores, I was kind of bullshitting a little bit. It was because my dad was here, yes. But I, also because I kind of been no-lifing Death Stranding. And so wow. I'm currently finish it. No, I'm currently on chapter eight, which is oh wow, it's okay. where you right after you meet Hartman for the first time in person. Okay, and you his house. Yeah, which okay, that yeah. is one of the funniest fucking endings to a cutscene of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. It, it it's um. I will say I, I, I think also before before you jump in, I think gameplay wise because that's the big thing. It's a walking sim. It's a walking sim. I've been saying that forever, and it is. But I think the thing that makes it interesting for me now is that I'm much more open minded about trying out what what new things they unlock for you throughout the game that yeah. make it more dynamic. And you can do this now, and this helps you do that. And you can have a bot that joins you now, that follows you around. And you can have a thing that you can, you know, like um, like a back yeah. carriage thing that follows you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so this, it, it kind of made me more interested in how I'm going to tackle a mission. Whereas in the opening hours of the game, it's very binary. Just run here and run over there and drop off the package. Right. So there's a lot yeah. more variety that gets introduced as, as you go along. And it becomes less about, let me just get from point A to point B and more about, okay, I got to think about the terrain. I got to think about, can I bring a bot? I hope if I'm in, the, if I'm online in the chiral network, has somebody built something that's going to make something easier for me to traverse? Or do I need to bring my own stuff? Like then you start really getting into it like, okay, I really got to figure out my approach here. And that's made every mission really unique for me. Um, so I got to say, it's it, if it stays the course, I will give a complete 180. And apologize, yeah. but I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a pin in it for now because I'm not done with it yet. But well, I will say I will say I think that 
you made a point about saying that the game isn't really like trying to be a game as game. I think that the moments of this game that don't work is when they're trying to make it a game as game. And there, are, there's going to be some boss fights that I think you're going to come into soon that are going to be take away from from the game a little bit because they gamify those things mm-hmm. a little too much. However. The way the story is structured, uh, the way it's told, and the way it it, it ends, I, I think they do a well enough job to like. The weird is still weird, and there's some things about the story that are kind of like uh, I don't quite understand mm-hmm. where this is going, uh, and the, but the payoff is is there to an extent. I, I think that I think for me, Death Stranding is is a unique kind of. It's like watching a, a art house film. You know, where it's like... That's what I'm, get, that's what I'm getting now. That's what I'm getting now. Yeah. Before, I didn't care about that. Exa- yeah, exactly. It's like watching... Um, I don't know if anybody's watched this Nicolas Cage movie called Mandy, which is weird as shit. And if you watch it off the heels of Nicolas Cage, you know, he goes to rescue somebody, a, a girlfriend of his, and you watch this movie, you're like, this is hot garbage because <laughs> this is acid line. And then once you watch it, you understand what they're really trying to do here. That's that's exactly what Death Stranding is. It's like an art house film. And I know people are hearing this that don't like Death Stranding, kind of rolling their eyes back. It I is was a little that guy, man. Yeah. Pablo knows. It is a little pretentious. I, yeah. I never missed an opportunity to roast this game. Never. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 it, and it opens itself to, to it. I mean, there's a guy who dies every uh, few seconds because of heart stop, and his name is Die Hartman. Like, oh, you know, no, that's, it's, that's, it's, that's, Hart, that's Hartman. That's Hartman? Yeah, yeah. Who's the other guy? There's Die, die Hard Man. Oh, Die Hard Man is the guy well, that's who kind is, of part of it die. too. It's like, well, his <laughs> names are dumb as shit, you know. Like, but no, Die Hard Man is the guy who can't die, right? I don't know yet. That yeah, I don't know that yet. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I think he's like hard to kill or something. It's something. It's something <laughs> obvious. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The Kojima-isms uh, no. are still there, and I and also the the whole Hollywood horse thing. I mean, that guy who's Hartman is a is a, yeah, is yeah, a yeah. famous director, and then he's then using likenesses of Guillermo del Toro for for del Dead Man. Toro. Yeah. Conan, the, Conan O'Brien is in the game. You'll find him eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Keeley, like it's all there. It, it, yeah. it, he's still holding himself out, but I'm excited for hopefully, fingers crossed, Death Stranding Two, which is supposedly in the works. What, what uh, do you mean? It's it's been revealed already. Really? <laughs> yeah, dude. No, 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 no. I meant, I mean, wait, has it really been? Revealed? Yeah, there's a whole trailer. It was at the Game Awards. Death Stranding Two. Yes, dude. <laughs> Uh, you've seen the trailer. I think we talked about it. No I think way. you're having an old man moment. That's hilarious. Oh. Yeah, there's a whole Wait. ass trailer, dude. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I ever saw this. Oh, yeah, I did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yes, I did. When he came out and he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't the Game Awards. It was... Uh, it was TGA. Well, it was the, one of them, the yeah. The Tokyo Game Show. Yeah, 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 I remember now. Yeah, it, it shows uh, uh, Fragile. Uh, mm-hmm. Throughout, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it shows that big. Dude, I'm tripping, of course. Yes, yeah, well, got hopefully this game comes out. <laughs> it comes out soon, is what I mean. What is it? Th- did they say what is coming? Uh, right? No, no, no. I think it was too soon. They, they, it's right. called DS2, so that's weird. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yes, anyway, sir. yeah. Uh, so Pablo's geezer moment aside, uh, yeah, Shit. I'm gonna report back on this next week. I, I, and, and here's the thing, Pablo. I am deprioritizing Horizon. Until I get this game done, because to me it's now or That's never. Like it with, like you said, the next few weeks are going to be bananas. I don't want to lose my momentum in this game and then run into the brick wall again, like I did last time. And go, oh, actually, I don't like this. Like I'm going to stay the course and and basically main this 
uh, and then I'll come back to Burning Shores because Burning Shores, like I said, it's not a long game, so I'm not worried about you know. But also, you don't want to you don't want to fall into the same trap we did with Forbidden West, where make yourself play the game exactly. that you don't really want to be playing. See, it's right like now. you yeah. know me, brah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Damn that's it. what I got going on though. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm I am uh, I am in the midst of eating crow, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and it's giving me heartburn. But I'm I'm <laughs> still going to keep chowing down because when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not afraid of being wrong. I have admitted yeah, that in the so. past. Um, I think it makes me uh, modest and, and and humble um, and great. Absolutely not. You're just wrong a lot. Oh, so. okay. Well, uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, before we move on, if you like what you're hearing so far, consider subscribing to our show. We drop new episodes every Monday on all podcast plot, uh, platforms, including the one you're listening to this on. And if you're feeling extra cool, you can also follow us on IG and Twitter at It's Cooldown Time. Uh, but Pablo, let's go ahead and keep the show going with our news segment that we call Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, man. So pretty interesting week in terms of news headlines. But let's start the show uh, segment off with some review roundups, Pablo. So uh, open critic scores are in for a couple of recent releases, two of which we've already talked about, but we'll circle back to them and talk about them from a review standpoint. Um, and we'll start with Dead Island 2, Pablo, being at a 75% uh, review rating on Open Critic so far. Pablo, do you think, uh, is, that, is that too low, too high, or just writing your opinion? And what do you think about what reviews have said about this game? Yeah, when you get into the percentages of what, 75 means I mean I don't want to kind of talk about that I kind of want to talk about the reviews themselves and this is the most positive 75 I've ever seen I mean I think most reviews are really positive on the game they're just saying you know some things are squandered some things are like story stuff is a little um, laxed uh, some people are even kind of complaining about the, the smallness and, and the, brev- the brevity of the game in some aspects but in terms of like how people feel about the game itself the, 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 con- the concept and execution of the game it's a 75 but it's a it's a it's a if you can it's a number is a number but it's like a high 75 mm-hmm. like people are, are really uh into it so i mean I, I don't think this game is, is is a like a 10 out of 10 or anything i would probably go 8 out of 10 or something like that if i had to give it a, a score uh in terms of how i'm feeling about it so 75 isn't far off of that but i think it's fair i i i, I am surprised as to how positive reviews are even at that number uh but yeah yeah it's it definitely seems like it's they're looking at it more like glass half full than half empty yeah. with this game, um, which is good. I thought that they were going to be a little bit more harsh about the linearity because I'm always weird about like how people are going to receive that kind of thing. So many people are used yeah. to open world games now that linear is like a what kind of a reaction. Yeah, um, especially the price with with money more yeah. means better. And for you know again full price game, fifteen twenty hours. You know I can see where people can say, well I don't know if it's valuable. I mean I'm not that kind of person. I think as long as the game's runtime is feels right and it's not like overstaying its welcome or understaying its welcome, then I'm okay. But um, I'm, I'm cool with this one. Um, I, I think it's good that it got to a 75 just based off of its like its troubled development hell. Like I'm surprised it came out. Man, that's crazy. This competent, but. Uh, up next, Pablo, we have Horizon Forbidden West, which is currently at an 81%. Um, I think this is about right from my experience of the game. Um, I think this is right on par with what I think the game deserves, in my opinion, from what I've seen in the little early goings. Um, like I said, it feels like it's more of the same, but just an interesting little twist and some new characters that kind of spice yeah. things up a little bit, which I think is helpful. 
Um, but doesn't reinvent the wheel per se. It it just more or less yeah. you know kind of builds on the PS5's capabilities and um, you know does so with a really nice and, and beautiful looking experience. So yeah, this this feels about right for me. I know you haven't played it yeah. obviously, so but it that's no, definitely. I, I did see some of the things that they yeah. talked about. Like the the biggest takeaway that I saw is that the opposite of the Island Two is that there's not enough side content. Uh, that's what they're saying is like yeah. the biggest takeaway from the game, but. You know that to me, that sounds awesome. You yeah, know, I less, was gonna say that's not a bad thing, dude. Less is more sometimes. You know, I, I didn't do a lot of the side content in Forbidden West. Honestly, I, I did the yeah. side quests that you know had story implications, but I didn't yeah. do any like go to this building to find the relic that you can collect them all. Like, nah, I'm good on that. That's just yeah. a little too boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, Minecraft Legends, Pablo. Um, I was curious about whether you actually tried this or not, but it's at a 72 on no. Open Critic. Um, not the best score in the world, but not terrible. Um, what did, what do you think about this? Yeah, I didn't try it. I mean, I downloaded fully intended to try it, and then I'm like, I don't even give a fuck. So I was like, I'm not, I wasn't even gonna put myself through that because I just zero zero interest in playing this. I am though, however, shocked that Minecraft Minecraft Legends did get a 72. I think that's pretty low considering the Minecraft brand. What I think Minecraft Dungeons got, I think, uh, was in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, or at least high 70s. I um, I'm sure we can check that here, yeah. but uh, I um. Yeah, a lot of the reviews, uh, you know, most of the reviews are actually kind of like fall short of quality and depth. Uh, Minecraft Legends is not a game with a very deep strategy aspect. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, complaints about the 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 core of the game, which is strategic. Uh, it's a strategy game, so a lot of suffering when it comes to that itself. I think a PC gamer gave it like a 50 out of 100, saying an action strategy spinoff that disappoints both genres and misses Minecraft's magic. So that it's there's some really, like, harsh uh, uh, critiques here, uh, but... I'm surprised because these games are also are always made with a lot of um, a lot of love, a lot of like uh, people are really into to, to to taking that Minecraft magic and infusing it into things. And uh, yeah, uh, it's not a game that I'm gonna uh, play. Um, and it's it's honestly a disappointment that another Xbox game. Uh, first party, even though it's, it's on everything, it is a first party Xbox game. It is made by Xbox uh, owned, uh, but. Yeah, it's just it's it's not it's not very good. Yeah. It's not very bad either, but it's just it's it's fine. Comparatively it's speaking, uh, Minecraft Dungeons got a seventy four percent on Open Critic, so not too far okay. from little, from that. Not too far, a little better, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, I did like I did like Minecraft uh, mm. Dungeons for what it was, uh, mm. but you know, yeah, yeah, this I, is I, not up. I don't, I don't have much to say about it. I mean, it's 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 disappointing, but I also feel like it it, it was too niche for its own good anyway, and it's only going to really excite Minecraft fans, um, honestly. And I don't know if it's gonna. It wasn't going to be a system seller. It never had a chance of being but it's that. Like a, it's like a weird thing because Minecraft fans are usually kids, and strategy games that are 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 a little bit kind of not to say that they're hard for kids, but they're not exactly the most. Yeah, more the learning most accessible kind of games, yeah. you know. So it's a weird, it's a weird amalgamation mm -hmm. uh, of that. So yeah, yeah. And then last but not least, Pablo, Advance Wars One and Two Reboot Camp uh, came out on Nintendo yeah. Switch after a lengthy delay uh, due to the issue with uh, you know the, the Russian invasion, uh, obviously, and, and Nintendo feeling that it was the wrong time to release it um, when that first kicked it off. Still hasn't released in Japan, which is weird. Yeah. 
I don't know what they're doing, man. But nevertheless, it's here. It's at an 81%. Um, Pablo, I don't know about you, but not not enough of a good score for me to go ahead and dabble in it. But it doesn't sound like it's a bad game. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, if this was on any other console, I would say, I'll wait for it to go on sale. Uh, but we all know Nintendo doesn't do that mm-hmm. shit. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, maybe one day I'll pick it up when it's slow down the line. Maybe not even this year. I, I, I like, I, I've learned that I like strategy games in my older gaming age. Uh, Advanced Wars, people talk about this all the time. But I told Marco, it, it would have to be pretty high for me to really be into it. And so far, I mean, 81 is high, you know, 85% recommended. Score, yeah, yeah it, people really who, who love it, uh, are happy it's back but it's also not really been in the conversations too much like it, it hasn't really per- permeated to the zeitgeist like other games have that have been people have been clamoring for advance wars and here it is and people don't really talk about it, it kind of came and it's it's here and people are like eh, you know nobody's really talking about it which is weird considering it is a pretty good uh strong open critic rating but yeah yeah it's it's a strange one i think a lot of people don't like the art style either which i more i look at it the more i kind of agree it's a little bit bland and weird looking like just the the orange and the blue toys and yeah yeah i it's not really doing it for me either honestly but uh it's it's good that it's good though Uh, i'll I'll say that much but uh yeah that's gonna wrap up our review roundup uh with open critic scores this time around pablo so yeah the onslaught will mm-hmm. continue with more games to come soon and we will catch you guys up oh, on our man. thoughts yeah it's it's coming it's coming uh and it's gonna be tough because we got zelda we got redfall uh we got for those who were wanting this the curious case of benjamin whatever the benedict fuck is fox coming or out. something yeah. yeah benedict fox which looks really good it's coming out this week uh you got Survive Jedi Survivor, and then after that shit, you got Diablo Four. You got Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy Sixteen, mm-hmm. bro. I don't know what's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's gonna be crazy. Mm. It'll be crazy. Good podcast stuff. Good co- content for sure. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, moving on here with more hit points, we have uh, here uh, a story about Oxenfree. An interesting story <laughs> on July twelfth, twenty twenty three. Oxenfree Lost Signals uh, will come out on everything. Your mama's stove, <laughs> your daddy's toolbox, uh, PlayStation, Switch, PC, uh, and uh, just about everything except Xbox, uh, which angered many Xbox fans uh, this past week, especially since the first uh, game was a time exclusive on Xbox One. So is this simply a matter of Netflix and Microsoft having beef or is this uh, games that come in Xbox thing starting to become a bigger issue? Marco, what do you think? Well, it's an interesting topic because I think there's a narrative right now with a lot of Xbox yeah. fans where, especially when you think about like the Square Enixes of the world where, you know, what, why don't, why aren't these games coming to Xbox? And, you know, is there something going on? Is this, is Jim Ryan, Jim Ryaning? And I think nah. this this story, and a lot of people are going to say, well, who the fuck cares about Oxenfree 2? Well, I mean, it's is it the biggest game in the world? No. But I think that also makes it a little bit scary, because if a game that's this kind of tiny isn't coming to Xbox, then it, it does raise some questions. Now, obviously, for those of you that don't know, um, Oxenfree 2 is made by, I think their name is Night School Studios. Um, which yeah. and they they were recently acquired by Netflix. So part of that question's right. framing about Netflix is because they own Netflix. And so a lot of people are running with this theory that maybe Netflix has an issue with Microsoft because of the subscription service parallel in some way. Well, I don't know. What what do you think about that a, part? It's less of yeah, it's less of a theory because they've they've Netflix have said on record that they consider Game Pass a a uh, a competitor, but 
what doesn't make sense to me is that Netflix is apparently not wanting to release the game on Game Pass, though, to my understanding, they're the publisher, they own the game, they can block it from coming on Game Pass, so it can still come out on Xbox. PlayStation has something called PlayStation Plus, which is a subscription game service. Uh, and if you really wanted to uh, take people into Netflix gaming, which, by the way, they have, you can play games on Netflix, the fact that you're releasing it on everything but Xbox doesn't really make sense to me in terms of you trying to navigate people into it. Um, there's also a rumor going around that placed X- Microsoft, after the acquisition of, 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 of Activision Blizzard, that they're going to purchase Netflix. And that there's some strife there with, uh, with the CEOs of Netflix and Microsoft, Microsoft being a Fortune 500 company in America. And there's a lot of stuff going on there, like corporate battles happening. You know, I know Microsoft is currently fighting a, 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 uh, a chat AI battle with yeah. uh, Google. So it's a lot of stuff that's happening behind the scenes. I think we're just seeing, I think it's just bleeding over to the gaming stuff. In a way that's really weird, uh, but I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know if I completely buy all of it because it's just it's super it's super weird to begin with. But there's definitely something going on that's outside of games that's affecting the gaming yeah. uh, part of Microsoft right now because of everything the, of them being on the news with Activision Blizzard, all that good stuff. It feels a little bit like a lot of the other big for, uh, Fortune 500 companies are taking aim at Microsoft a little bit and be like, yeah, fuck them. You know why not? Like, I, I think it's I think it's a smart ass fucking move to be quite honest with. You. But um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, so this is interesting because I think this specific case is a matter of Netflix and Microsoft having beef. However, yeah, I think the other thing is true as far as the whole games not coming to Xbox thing. I think that is going to become a bigger issue if Xbox doesn't get their um, their image under control. Um, yeah. Because when you think about the Square Enix factor, right? Because a lot of people complain, how come we don't get Final Fantasies on on Xbox anymore? How come we're not getting this and that? The reality is, is when it comes to Square, um, they're not putting games out on Xbox because Xbox sells like asshole on in Japan. I mean, Jess Corden yeah. said recently they only sell dozens of Xboxes a month in the entirety of Japan. Not hundreds, not thousands, not tens of thousands, dozens. So why would it be incumbent upon Square to say, oh, sure, we'll put this on Xbox when the the potential of selling units of their game on Xbox on Xbox consoles in Japan is 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 impossibly bad. Right. right. So there's no incentive to do that. And it's not their responsibility to expand the the Japanese gaming market for Xbox either. Right. That's Xbox's job. Market your console better. Make it more tailored for Japan, and maybe they'll sell more units, you know? So I think that's what's going on on the Square side. I just hate when that keeps coming up and people lump this um, issue with Oxenfree, with Final Fantasy, and, and, and they try to say, well, there's some conspiracy going on. I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. I think that Microsoft just doesn't have, the. to your point, they don't have a great relationship with other companies. And the other part of it is like they don't have good market share in other regions. And the third part about it, and this is what I think a lot of Xbox fans have a tough pill uh, is a tough pill to swallow for them is that um, some companies just aren't that into Xbox. I mean, they're getting outsold. You know, the PlayStation, the PlayStation is more of a commodity. There's a better potential to sell more units because the install base is greater. um, You know, worldwide, Um, Xbox is not as big of a deal. 
to them as as they are to us gamers. So, you know, games don't, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, we'll put it on Xbox and it won't cost a thing. Like, you have to, you know, if you if you're selling it in retail, you have to print the game, you have to, you know, get it ready to go. The development costs, the manpower involved, the labor involved in that, like it's not cheap to make games on multiple consoles. Yeah. So, look, and I I think we have to also look at it like Microsoft Xbox is part of an entity called Microsoft, which is a huge they are. Uh, co- American company, and there are other companies, other American companies that are going to tee off on Microsoft just based on that fact alone. That's not a conspiracy. That's just the way these things work. Look at look at Twitter right now. Twitter, you can't share your Xbox stuff directly onto Twitter anymore because Twitter decided, or Elon Musk decided, that he was going to charge forty three thousand dollars a month to Microsoft at an API fee that they call, just so he can have that connectivity. And Microsoft, on principle, said we're not paying that. So now you can't share. It's not just specifically to Xbox. It's on any application that Microsoft runs that would run at that point on on or share information with Twitter. So it's just part of part of the course. I I think that I uh, uh, Microsoft is in a position financially where with Xbox. I I think if you want Oxenfree to come out on Netflix, you have to pay Netflix some money to do that. And I think uh, Xbox is not doing that. I think Xbox is not spending that money. Forty three thousand dollars a month is a lot of money for us it's nothing for xbox for microsoft but they're willing not they're not going to pay that so i i don't know if there's certain things happening there with 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 what what kind of restrictions microsoft is putting on on xbox themselves uh but there is something going on it isn't conspiracy i don't think it's a conspiracy theory i just think a lot of what marco said is true i think if xbox was the number one console in the world this wouldn't be an issue i i I think that netflix would want their game on the number one console in the world but look you have you have that game on apple on uh, on ios on google on consoles besides xbox and everything else that you can possibly get it on pc whatever if it's not on xbox i don't think that they're going to really miss that portion of sales you know it's not really going to affect them so they can say about the the competition all they want but ultimately it's just like fuck them why would we even release it on there we don't have to and mm-hmm. I think that's that has a lot to do with the fact that Xbox isn't permeating the market right now. Yeah. They're in a really tough spot, uh, and um, this is going to keep happening, honestly. Especially with Japanese and foreign games, um, it's going to happen quite a bit. So yeah. strap in, man. Yeah, it, it, it's not going to get any better until Microsoft starts selling some fucking consoles. exactly. So yeah, I mean, it, are developers avoiding Xbox? I mean, some of them probably are. Yeah, I mean, whether there's a loaded reason for Netflix or there's a bigger reason because it's just not selling well or the mind share is not working in Microsoft's favor right now um, or bad PR and just not wanting to associate their game with Xbox, you know? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I think a lot of the Xbox fan base is just sort of, you know, playing the victim here a little bit um, too much for me or going into the tinfoil hat mode and blaming everything on Jim Ryan. Well, maybe there's kind of, which is ridiculous. There's a secret contract he made. Like guys, maybe some of these studios just aren't into Xbox. It could be that simple. Yeah. And so and Sony got nothing to do with this Netflix no. bullshit. And you know, even and even if Sony has something to do with the Square Enix stuff, and Sony's like, hey, I'm paying you this to purposely not keep it on Xbox, that's business, baby. Like that about one of the biggest games of the year, Final Fantasy 16 is about to come out and it's on PlayStation only. And that is massive for PlayStation. 
and you know Square Enix might make a little bit more, more money if it releases on Xbox but maybe the, that money is being made up by the fact that Sony is paying them for the exclusivity which they are so it's it's not their like like you said they don't have to release anything on any platform that they don't want to release it on and Square Enix is content with their partnership with Sony and it is what it is if Microsoft wants to change that Xbox change that then they gotta do something about it right now they're not doing anything about it so it is what it is yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's stay on Xbox, though, Pablo. Xbox also announced that they are expanding uh, Tango Gameworks' workforce while also praising the success of Hi-Fi Rush, calling it Tango Gameworks' most successful game to date. Uh, however, our boy Jeff Grubb recently stated that he heard Hi-Fi Rush didn't meet sales expectations, but then Aaron Greenberg of Xbox took to Twitter to refute that claim. Uh, now... Grubb did clarify his comments by saying that he didn't he doesn't know what a success uh, means to Xbox per se and that he was just passing a statement along that he heard in a bigger conversation uh, but nevertheless Pablo where do you land on this whole thing I think I think Jeff and Aaron are both telling the truth I think uh, I think the engagement of hi-fi rush uh, be it through social media or game pass uh, you know people consuming it through game pass the buzz was buzzing mm. and I think that the hi-fi hi-fi rush was successful in that way if uh, any way hi-fi rush contributed to a positive sub growth on game pass that's the new W for Microsoft and Xbox period it's time we get I think it's time we get off uh, Xbox we can get on Xbox for a whole bunch of shit but I think it's time we get off Xbox's back a little bit when it comes to their interpretation of traditional investment and return like and and what that and how xbox sees their success it's not sony sony will release 10 million copies sold blah blah that's how they measure success microsoft doesn't measure success that way i think the way they measure it is by how that affects game pass directly how people are having the conversation about their specific game uh but i also think it probably sold poorly in fact i would bet money that it sold like shit i mean i i i know for i i think jeff grubb had clarified and said I know how much the game costs to make, and I know how much it made. And in the traditional way of investing and return doesn't jive. So in that way, that's what I meant. That's what he meant by saying that the game wasn't a success. But clarifying, Microsoft does have different ways of of of, of has a specific way of clarifying or determining a a, a successful game. Uh, but I I think that that might be right. I think they're true. But I still think, uh, based on the fact that they've expanded the studio, that Eric Greenberg is also telling the truth. I think the game did what they, it did. I think the, the shadow drop of it all, they're already sacrificing sales by not promoting the game in that way. And I think that the game brought a lot of positive of uh, positive things to, to Game Pass, to the community. And I think that's a good thing as well. I think that if that's how they measure success and the, and the, and the outcome of that is increasing Tango Gameworks workforce to possibly make more games, possibly uh, more uh, Ghostwire, possibly more um, uh, Hi-Fi Rush, that's a good thing. I think as gamers, I think that's a that's a success. I think we as gamers get too caught up in how much money they somebody made. Like you know, uh, for years, for years, people were like, "Oh, Nintendo's about to get the fuck out of here because they're not selling anything." And then we find out they have an eight billion dollar cash reserve uh, <laughs> sitting somewhere Some just in, for a rainy day. Yeah, so it's like we, we we. I think a lot of the stuff that in terms of how we gauge, to, weirdly enough, success on a game is how much it made for a fucking super billionaire corporation. I think the success of the game is based on the fact of how much how good it is and if that company is able to maintain itself and grow and i think that's what's happening here so i think they're both telling the truth i think grub was telling 
was being very matter of fact about numbers, and I think that Eric Greenberg is talking about how they consider success within the genre itself and uh, Xbox. So, yeah, I mean, look, I don't think any game that's coming out of Game Pass in the next five fucking years is going to outsell anything PlayStation is doing. It's just not going to. It's why would it if it's on Game Pass? Like, even if if uh, if um, if Redfall comes out and it's it, it it sees expectations amazing it's gonna sell like trash it just is comparatively speaking but it's probably gonna be a success for xbox marco what do you think well and not only i i i kind of agree with you on everything here i would also add that i think part of xbox's projections for sales had to factor in how this game launched because it was a shadow drop yeah. the fact that it's a yeah. shadow drop means like this isn't in stores today it's available to download today so why would somebody purposely not play the game when it dropped on Game Pass and wait until it comes out in retail to buy it or to buy it digitally when it's available on Game Pass like there's there's just too many variables yeah. that make it like not a good choice to buy it a la carte right so yeah. it, I I would imagine when they projected what they wanted to see this game do in terms of numbers or uh, whatever you know that they factored that thing that stuff into the equation. So I I don't think they had astronomical ambitions for this game to sell through the roof. It's a new IP. It's a shadow drop. Um, it's a very niche kind of game at that. Um, that's very unconventional for Tango GameWorks, which traditionally makes horror games. So. I'm sure that their projections were were modest, but to your point, like the Game Pass factor is very real. Now, it, it's weird for people on our side of the spectrum because we don't know what goes into how they factor in success with a Game Pass yeah, game and right. blah blah blah. But that's kind of where we all kind of need to fall back a little bit. Like, you know, like if they say that that it's fine, then it, let's just let's just give them the fact that and, it's fine. Like, I, and they've increased their employ, employment. They've right. increased the studio. Like, they're literally showing you, hey, it's fine. We hired, we're hiring more right. people. Like, you're not going to do yeah. that for a, a, a failing studio. Right. You know, you're going to do what they did for like Luminous Studios with Forspoken and close that bitch down. <laughs> you know, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> Closing right. that down. But, this game was great. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and close shop. Yeah. That's oh, a wrap on Tango. Was, the dance is over. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. We're, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Man, so, that's, that's a good one. Things are oh, fine. Oh, shit. Tango Gameworks. Hi-Fi Rush is a rhythm-based game. Oh, my God. I got to go. Welcome to I welcome to today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. We'll go ahead and round us out with the last hit point news item today. Uh, you know, we talked about, hey, let's not engage in conspiracy theories. But there's some things that have been happening on Twitter. Some conversations are being uh, are being had. So I thought it was uh, prudent enough to bring it up here. Because PlayStation has quietly raised PC game prices on Steam in certain regions. With some games even doubling in price. Rumors are going around that these efforts are to dissuade players from purchasing games on PC. But rather funnel them into their home consoles. Couple that with some truly heads scratching performances issues on some of their PC recent PC ports uh, is Sony purposely tanking the PC business for the sake of the PlayStation 5 Marco what do you think is this conspiracy theory nonsense or is or is there validity to this is there a little bit of truth to this what do you think all right so we're, we've done a hundred and this is 105 right here episode 105 Pablo we've done a lot of news stories we've covered all kinds of interesting topics good bad and ugly this is the dumbest shit <laughs> I think we have ever had to talk about on this show. And I'm serious. I think this is genuinely the dumbest shit. I, I don't know who's fanning this flame. 
I don't know if it's I mean, the disgruntled Xbox community trying to well PlayStation the whataboutisms of of PlayStation fumbling or something like that. There is yeah, it's I will say I will say it's Jez Jez Corden has Corden has uh, retweeted some people who would do like analytics for the the thing and that was kind of a little bit of their tech away a little tongue-in-cheek but still interesting enough to learn but yeah but i agree uh keep going yeah so here's here's the thing um if playstation pablo wanted to dissuade people from buying the pc versions of their game the best way to do that is to Sorry, not make their games on the fucking PC. It's that simple. Yeah. Why would you tank your PC business for the sake of PC, for PS5? If that's true, then they wouldn't make then why make PC games in the first place? Why mm. there's no reason why these people would intentionally make their games come to PC and be awful just to bolster the PS5. If anything that would be bad press. It would be a bad headline. It would make Sony look weaker. There's nothing they okay. stand to gain from doing that. If they don't want so, their PC business to thrive, then don't mm-hmm. participate in the PC business. This makes zero sense yeah. to me. I agree. I agree. But I, I, a little devil's advocate, PlayStation, one of the reasons PlayStation is doing PC ports, and, they, and they've said this, is because uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a hidden benefit because it increases player demand on, on a game that had already come out. Like for Horizon Forbidden West, uh, Horizon for, uh, Zero Dawn comes out, Three years later, the PC port comes out and it boosts sales again, even on home consoles, because it's bringing the game to the forefront. Uh, that's kind of what they said is happening. But it, but to your point, if that's what they're doing, then why do that and release a piece of shit port? Right. If you're trying to and, and if and if the revitalize ports, that 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 IP. And let's be very clear. Not every PlayStation game on PC has been bad. I think Returnal had a couple issues, and obviously The Last of Us had a lot of issues. That one is probably the most flagrant of, of, of them all, but Spider-Man was fine. Death Stranding came out fine. Like A lot of the other games came out fine. Let's, it, 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 there's an over-exaggeration to, component to this, too. And, but if, if they didn't want these games to, to perform or look or play as well as PS5, then why are they patching these games and making them better? Why then? If if this theory is true, then just let them be bad. Let them be broken, and that maybe that'll yeah. get people to come to PS Five. This is such an egregious argument, and I think I think that the the level of delusion in the console warring space right now is re, it's reaching a, a fever pitch to me. Like it's yeah. really getting ridiculous now, where people are grasping at the wildest fucking straws imaginable now now apparently playstation is intentionally making bad games like what how far are we going to go down the rabbit hole here like i think every company is is putting their best foot forward and mistakes happen you know like when when the last of us came out fucked up i theorized that it was because they were trying to get the game out as quickly as possible to coincide with the the tv show's finale um right or wrong i don't think anyone had the the uh, abject goal of making a game intentionally bad yeah no i i agree with that i, I think that's true I, I i mean jim ryan has kind of uh put himself in the kind of scope when he 
did say, oh, Microsoft is going to intentionally make bad games, uh, bad Call of Duty games for PlayStation. So I'm sure there's some of that coming from like like people coming for his neck. Also, the 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 the, the PlayStation community is a little weird with with PC. Like they hate the fact that a lot of the games coming on PC, and a lot of them have been talking about this as a positive. Like, yeah, hell yeah, they're doing that because they know that PlayStation, the PlayStation consoles are the better, are superior. So like, they're, they're, both sides are really like kind of, of of like adding a lot of bullshit to this whole entire thing. Um, I. I just thought it was interesting to bring up because I, I, I love the way uh, that people take one thing and then they start complaining about other things and then now it's like a full-blown PlayStation is intentionally uh, funneling uh, things into the PS5 consoles. But, which, yeah. it, it, again, it just doesn't make any sense for them to really do that uh, because PlayStation's already a run, PlayStation 5 is already a runaway success anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody's out here like, man, I'm gonna play, I can't wait to play God of War Ragnarok, I'm waiting for it on PC and it's a piece of shit, and I'm like, well, then I'll just get the PS5. Because if that was the case, they would've just gotten the PS5 to begin with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, if they really wanted to play Ragnarok that badly, and then if one bad game comes out, they were just gonna be like, oh, forget it, I'll just get a whole ass console. I don't know if that's gonna, that's <laughs> really gonna work. The unless they're paid like that, work. then that's that's what they'll do, but yeah, but that's the thing. If they were paid, they would have just gotten the PS5 to begin that, with. That's what I'm you know, saying. It, yeah, it, exactly. They yeah, already so they already the, figured that out. Yeah, too many holes in, in, in the conspiracy Look, theory here. Here's what I'll say to wrap up, and this is more holistically. This is I'm I'm kind of moving off of this one. I, I want a lot of podcasts out there um, to to focus as little as possible on what people are saying on fucking Twitter. Because I feel like a lot of this reaching, a lot of this like accusation shit that's going on, the things that people are accusing Xbox of, things people are accusing PlayStation of, a lot of it is just coming from the cesspool that is Twitter. Like, you will find the dumbest takes in every topic imaginable: politics, religion, games, movies, entertainment, sports, on Twitter. Like, you will find people that say racism was all right. Like, I'm not going to Twitter for, like, an expert opinion on anything, because that's the kind of dumb shit you'll see across the board. So yeah. I, feel, I, I feel like we collectively, the podcasters, the influencers, we got to stop worrying about what, quote unquote, people on Twitter are saying. I'm not saying we're doing that, because I think we have a clear distinction no, 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 of, no. of yeah. silliness, but I think people legitimize what people on Twitter say way more than they should. Because a lot of dumb, tinfoil, goofy-ass theories come into play. A lot of console warring and bias come into play. And very seldomly do you get the actual facts, the actual data, the actual truth. And even when you do get that from people, like the reputable sources in in the industry, they get attacked for it. You know? Yeah. So, like... I think we all just need to kind of take a few steps back out of Twitter, come up for air, and just play what we want to fucking play, and, and let's stop getting yeah. all weird and, well, they're intentionally doing this to PlayStation fans, and they're screwing I- over them on purpose. No one's screwing over anybody on purpose, okay? No. People are just make these companies make mistakes. Xbox has, PlayStation has, Nintendo sure as hell has, and that's just the way it goes. One hundred percent. I mean, again, like, like you, just to piggyback on that, Twitter's not the place you go for facts. It's just not. I mean, you got people on there still saying Jordan is better than LeBron. That's not true. Wow, we uh, we don't need to talk anymore true. after that. It's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not true. You know. All right. Nah, but uh, yeah, that was a good time though. Let's let let's get into some truth though when it comes to DLCs, Pablo. This is an interesting uh, main event of the show here. We're going to talk about uh, as far as best DLCs of all time. Uh, so let's get to it right now in our. Checkpoint chat. 
It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so, Pablo, we're going to be talking about downloadable content today, but in a good way. Not the bad way, not the shitty way, the, the microtransaction hell kind of way, but the, the best DLCs that we have ever seen in gaming yeah, history. Uh, me and Pablo have each come up with a list of five games, uh, or five DLCs, rather, that we're going to be shouting out. Now, what's interesting about our list is that Pablo's five games are going to be the top five best standalone DLCs, basically meaning games that came out separately, um, that were purchasable separately, rather, uh, alongside the, the original product. And my yep. five games are going to be in-game DLCs, so basically add-on content that you can't buy separately and play separately without the base game, if that makes sense. So, Pablo, yes. um, how do you want to tackle this? Do you want to go round-robin on this? Do you want to just run through them yeah. each? What are you thinking here? Yeah, we'll go round-robin. Okay. I think... Uh Regardless, there's still DLCs at the end of the day, but I think we could do that. No yeah. doubt, no doubt. Okay, so Pablo, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you. Give me your number five best standalone DLC of all yeah. time. On this sh on this show, Marco, we've uh, talked about how much we dislike Metal Gear Solid Five uh, Phantom Pain. Um, I think that game is, 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 that game is a, a incredible disappointment. And it didn't start off that way. Uh, I think Metal Gear, and I'm interested in this because I don't know if I've ever gotten your actual take on Ground Zeroes. I'll get that here in a second. But Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes, uh, Kojima came out and said, hey, we're going to release this portion of the game. It is still considered DLC, even though they come out before the actual game itself. But, um, Man, first time seeing the graphical fidelity, the 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 wet terrain, just a beautiful game to really look at. Also engaging with those uh, gameplay mechanics for the first time was absolutely incredible because you know th those gameplay mechanics are amazing, and understanding the depth of them and the things that you can do the more you played it, the fact that you're infiltrating a massive base, which is, you know, you've done that before in Metal Gear Solid games, but this is truly open, massive base of a, 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 a of a location, the ability to to tackle those objectives in multiple set of ways was absolutely amazing. The small story tidbits that they gave that got you hyped for the entire game. The the uh, Ground Zeroes was a promise uh, that the next generation of Metal Gear Solid was here, and it was uh, a promise to bridge the gap between all those incredible games that came out before it. Um, you know, compelling boss Skull uh, Skullface was a uh, a pretty compelling boss. I'm sorry, a, a bad guy, like a, a enemy type. Like he was a, a villain. He was a pretty compelling villain because, like, holy shit, like, he looks really cool. Like, I wonder what his deal is going to be. And I, I like the little tease that they gave here, and, and they really set everything up. Uh, really, it was an amazing experience that left me wanting more. I've never played something to completion so many times and done it in so many different ways. Ground Zeroes to me was like, man, this is going to be absolutely amazing. Like, they really nailed the gameplay aspect of it, which always was a little bit lacking in the previous games it, it, it wasn't the priority when they were making Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 4 uh, but it, seemingly without getting much of the story in Ground Zeroes but get, seeing the promise of what that is and seeing the way that you were able to, to play this game it just felt like a fucking dream come true and I, I love Ground Zeroes to this day I think it's it, it's some of the most fun I've had playing a Metal Gear Solid game in terms of infiltrating base so on and so forth so yeah that's my number 5 how, how, what uh, did your disdain for ground for Metal Gear Solid Five start at Ground Zeroes, or was it kind of like afterwards? Because it was totally afterwards for me. Um, it was kind of a weird one because 
I think I hate to harp on it again, but the Kiefer Sutherland thing just yeah yeah that intro was whack. I could I couldn't I couldn't get past it to be honest with you. I mean the, yeah. the gameplay was was interesting. It felt good, um, and I think that in that in that tighter space, unlike the 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 Phantom Pain right. game, which was way bigger, obviously, I didn't mind the gameplay at all. It felt pretty solid to me. The problem was it just felt wrong, like. It felt wrong cool. hearing the wrong voice of Big Boss, oh, one right, of the right. greatest characters of all time, and that. And, and I know some people are like, "All right, we get it," but it, you know, if you if you know me, you know how big of a deal Metal Gear Solid is in my gaming yeah. lineage, right? So I just couldn't get past it. I really couldn't, and I felt weird about the whole thing uh, from the jump. I I can't say that I loved the demo, but I I will say that I was definitely open minded, but. I was also more irritated, though, because of, like, Kojima's rollout for the Phantom Pain. You know how he was pretending he was some other guy, Moby Dick Productions yeah, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Ha- Hakeem something. I don't know. He had, like, the, the rap on his face and shit like that. I'm like, what are we fucking doing here? Is it, we all know that it's was Metal Gear. As fuck. And also, the fact that this released before the game, and it was paid as well. This wasn't free. It was paid. It was, like, $30. It was twenty nine ninety nine for this. Uh, Man, fuck uh, it. Kojima's still a hoe. He's still a. I don't like that stranding anymore. I don't like it again. No, no. no man. But I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but I think I was more like in awe of like the the promise of what Ground Zeroes was. And so for me, I was like, man, if the rest of MGS Five Fan and Pain is like this, it's gonna I'll give you that. Fucking, I'll go, give you that. Like it's gonna go hard. Like it's gonna go hard. And it, and it didn't because there was like one other section in the uh in your uh in your fucking base where you were in a fucking confined area. You know, that's when the people were getting sick yep. and you were going. That I was like, this is the Metal Gear Solid game that I want. And you know, so it, it just. Going from that to that was disappointing, but Ground Zeroes for me, I think it's top five in terms of general DLC because it's just it's it's just the best way to play the the best feeling game, uh, Metal Gear Solid game of all time in that little small area was was amazing. It was amazing. All right, what do you got for your number five? Yeah, so my number five as uh, the best in game DLC of all time is actually a more of a recent addition. It's Hive Busters from Gears Five. What a fucking game. This is, uh, me and Pablo played this through. I think all in one sitting, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or maybe... It was two sittings. It was two, it was two okay, sittings. Okay, yeah. So it was a pretty short yeah. DLC. But I thought this was absolutely fire. Um, I loved it from moment number one. Um, I think what made it so so fun is because it, it kind of went back to a bit of a more of an old school Gears of War feeling where it was more tight and condensed. Where if you recall, Gears 5 tested out a little bit of the semi-open world elements and so it did change the formula up a little bit this felt way more traditional but it did so with uh, a group of characters that each had their own like ultimate abilities and stuff like that so it made the team uh collaboration a little bit more dynamic um but the set pieces dude the moments in this game are so epic i remember us uh, fighting off hordes of enemies. We were going down like a fucking volcano on a rock or something like that, taking cover, and we're just getting mobbed by everywhere, and the game looks beautiful as shit. Look beautiful. Like, we're getting shot at from Ray Dresha, and we're like, bro, this looks amazing. Yeah, dude, and the sound design was good. I remember we were talking about that. Like, everything that DLC did, um, to me, just did not get enough love. It did not get enough love at all. Um, 
I think um, for me, it is probably, I would say, and this is going to be a little spicy, but I enjoyed High Busters more than I liked a couple of the mainline games. But that's just me. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that's spicy at all. I just think that's facts. I mean, I, I love Gears 5, period. Uh, that, that story, Gears 5. But I think that the, I think High Busters is better than 4 and 3, mm. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's just kind of the way I, I feel it is. It kind of made me want to play the next Gears game co-op. But, I mean, it's such a long game. It's such a hard thing to do. But I, I it's because it, it was just a fun experience. It, it really, it really, like, lend, the, the co-op of of the, of it all really landed itself to, 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 to this. So, I was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. All right, man. Come, come uh, bring your number four <laughs> to the table, man. Your, your number four favorite standalone DLC of all time is what? It's Halo 3 ODST. The perceived downside of being the rookie, uh, an orbital drop sh- shock trooper, I think, was the, the thing. Uh, being just a regular human with no super strength or ability to take much damage is what made ODST uh, so incredible. Excuse me. <coughs> I just swallowed my own spit. Wow. My bad, guys. Um, yeah, it made ODST that much more incredible. Uh it's like it came out in the perfect time with I was experiencing some massive Halo fatigue. Uh, and I just kind of was like between two and three. And I was just didn't really feel three too much in terms of the story they were telling. But the lore was so, so interesting. And then the ability that the, the way that this game kind of comes in, it's like, what? You're playing as a ra- you're not playing as a Spartan. You're playing as just a regular person and, and and giving you that different perspective on the war that they've been raging on throughout. That you've been just fucking messing people up as a huge Spartan and you're just this nobody in New Mombasa. Uh, I, I loved it. I thought the, I, I thought like the prototype of the open worldness of that setting was really cool. I think, you know, going through that whole entire uh, world with that soundtrack was amazing. The jazz of it oh, all was God. absolutely amazing. It's so it good. was, yeah. Um, and enemy encounters were a little bit rejuvenated because there was that. There was a little bit more of the scariness. Yeah, you're more they, vulnerable. They played a lot scarier. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. You're a lot scarier to them before you saw a little, uh, a little one of the aliens just kind of the grunts. The grunts noise. were like, yeah, the oh grunts. shit, the grunts are coming. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, wait, no, I'm scared of a grunt. Yeah. You were never scared of a grunt as, as a Spartan. Nah. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it was just one of those things where it, it took a known quantity, Halo. It took the, 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 the gameplay of it, which is that great shooting of a Halo game, and really put you in a place where it's like, this isn't how I remember this isn't how i've played halo games like halo games you're jumping around you're smashing people you're 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 just going on there just killing your 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 one-man army and here you have to you know fall back a little bit you have to really play this game as a different kind of shooter more uh smart uh in terms of how you approach every situation so for me i i thought it was amazing i thought it was one of those things where it's like i never thought this could work and not only does it work i want more games like this and sadly we haven't gotten more uh, of those kinds of DLCs, but yeah, man, ODSC is actually uh, a really amazing. And if you guys have the 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 collection, the Master Chief collection, it's available on there now. So I would suggest playing that if you have it. It is it is a hell of a time. Yeah, man, I I think best atmosphere in Halo ever. Uh, yeah, hands down. Yeah. That aesthetic, the the soundtrack, it all just melded together so perfectly, man. That it's like a 
it was like a dark oh. but like it was almost noirish like in a way dude like yeah and it was like this weird like what happened to these people kind of thing too and you got to do a flashback to go back and see us uh everything worked so well in that yeah. game man that was just that was peak bungee for me personally that was prime yeah. bungee was they just could not miss dark dark gold hues with jazz music permeating throughout and you're playing this you know this week let's call it for what it is you're, you know just regular marine mm-hmm. going through this uh world and it's it's awesome man they really they like Mombasa, said, the, man the ambiance and the aesthetic of this game is uh probably the best out, among yeah, it's out of the park. uh halo games yeah yeah all right, man. Well, uh, coming in at number four in my list of top five favorite in-game DLCs is Minerva's Den from Bioshock 2. Uh, I've been on the show, Pablo. I've said it in the past. I know it's controversial. I think Bioshock 2 is the best game in the series, hands down. Oh, Jesus. I think it's not even close. I know. I, I, I know. Y'all can hate me if you want to, um, but I think this DLC in particular uh, is one of the best yeah. reasons why um some of the best writing i've ever seen in a game let's just start there and i don't say that lightly i'll give you that it, i'll give you that it's it is incredible writing the twist is really interesting and it's very sentimental from a family element dynamic um i think it really made for such an intimate story um that that felt good it, it didn't feel out of place it didn't feel too hokey it didn't lose target of what makes Bioshock Bioshock, but it also presented a new angle that I found really, really fascinating and, and enjoyable in so many different ways. Um, you know, the gameplay, I think, um, is probably why it's at number four, because it didn't do a lot of like really amazing new stuff per se. I just think that the storytelling um, to me was just another level. And I think from from that point on, I that's when it's solidified to me as being the the my personal favorite Bioshock of the series. Um, I think it's worth coming back to if any of you want to try like the remasters of Bioshock. I would don't sneeze at Bioshock two. You know, even if you like number no, one better game. or Infinite better, I think two is a really fascinating game that takes a lot of Ken Levine's core ideas, and I think again to me does a little bit more interesting okay. stuff with them, but. This DLC just it it was incredible for me. I can't forget about it. There's nothing wrong with Bioshock Two. I don't I don't think it's as good as one personally, uh, but I think that the biggest uh, thing that set Bioshock Two back within how people felt about it was that Ken Levine wasn't involved, and that's it. That's literally it, and I think that's bullshit because uh, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good game, but I think Minerva's Den is 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 amazing. I think Minerva's Den is 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 absolutely one hell of a time. Question for you. Did you play Burial at Sea? Uh, no. I know you're not a fan of 3. I know you're not no. a fan of 3. I think you should play it because it, it has nothing to... The story of 3 has nothing to do with that. It is a whole different thing, and it is really good. It is really I refuse good. to believe uh, that it could be I good. think it's on par. <laughs> for me, it's on par with Minerva's Den. And if it, was, if it wasn't for the fact that I was doing... Um, you know, standalones. I would have uh, put that pretty high on my list. I think it's fantastic. But yeah, I, I know it'd be controversial to say that one because I know I, I I think you have the more like commonly accepted you know belief that that's the best Bioshock DLC. But I still think Minerva's Den got something to say out here. So that's I, I think Minerva's Den is fantastic. Yeah. I think it's all, I don't think it's be, I don't think it's better. I don't think it's better or worse than I think they're on par. I think they've okay. done the, they've figured out DLC in a way that I think is uh, was amazing. So Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, go ahead. But my, hit your, hit your number 3 with us, man. What what's your number 3 uh best standalone DLC ever? 
Grand Theft Auto 4 episodes from Liberty City, The Battle of the Gay Tony, The Lost and the Damned. Uh, you know, when you have my personal favorite, Grand Theft Auto 4, uh, you know, I, I think while in that same world, you have the likes of like Nico Bellic trying to find his American dream with his cousin Roman. Uh, there was other stuff happening, and the way that they kind of told that story was so, those stories were absolutely amazing. Uh, I think these these story focused single player uh, expansions highlighted the story focused approach of Grand Theft Auto Four. You know, a lot of people compare. Co- co- complained about Grand Theft Auto 4 because it stripped a lot of San Andreas out and made a more uh, realistic experience. And the philosophy of their game development was all story-focused, as shown by the core game at 4 and also the Ballad of Gay Tony and the Lost of Dam, which is less about the spectacle uh, and more about what is happening in this world with different kinds of people. Uh, and that may not be what Grand Theft Auto fans wanted from these games, but I am so glad that Rockstar did what they did when it came to that. They they doubled they not only doubled down, but they tripled down on 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 the, the story aspect of it, because then you got you know, Lost and Damned, uh, which is is a, I, I think for me, I know people love Ballad of Gay, uh, Gay Tony, and I, I think it's incredible. I think Lost and Damned is is the better uh, of the mm. two. It, it, for me, it just kind of tells you, uh, tells a story of a whole different side of the, of the, of, of the city. Like it, it's, it's, it's your, your, your John, Johnny and, and, and you're with your, your bicycle, your, your bike gang. And the, the way those, the story is told in that way is, is so interesting because this guy is not likable in any way, shape or form. And it's such a far cry from, you know, uh, the Balgate Tony and even Grand Theft Auto 4 as proper in terms of like the, the, the character that I just love that how dirty that game is in that DLC is and, and just like the, the storytelling of it all is just so well done. Um, that is, it is obviously such a fucking disappointment to me that the worst Grand Theft Auto character of all time, Trevor, killed Johnny. In Grand Theft Auto uh, <laughs> 5, unceremoniously, just literally just fucking killed him in front of everybody, shot him in the head, I think it was. Uh, but man, I, th- those games are just, for me, um, kind of like peak Rockstar, though I have another one on my list here that, that's on the mm. same kind of wavelength. Uh, I just, I, I love Grand Theft Auto 4 for its storytelling, and, and, and you can tell that, that that was their, you know, artists have like the black album the white album you can tell that grand theft auto 4 was them flexing their writing muscle because they told an amazing story with nico bellic and everything that happened there and then they went out and wrote two more amazing stories and then fleshed out whole games surrounding them uh loved them love that uh i don't know if you could play that can you play it in modern consoles i don't think you can right now uh, grand theft auto 4 you can but i don't know if you can play those dlcs yeah i'm not too sure but on that. i highly recommend those yeah yeah uh, but yeah, man, which is another way dis- disappointing uh, thing about the fact that we didn't get a remaster of that because I was hoping you get a remaster of four and those two DLCs. The amount of hours amazing. of content that would be is just yeah bananas. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope one day Rockstar reacknowledges GTA 4's existence again in some kind of meaningful way. But until then, we're kind of left with yeah. the memories of two great DLCs. I don't. 
I don't think they will because you, you got San Andreas is all about I mean great story short but it's all about its bombast and, 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 and kind of immersion with CJ then you have 4 which is only about story and telling grounded story within that dirty gritty world of uh, Liberty City and then they just went full on bombast again with Grand Theft Auto 5 and I don't think there's ever anything coming back because of the online co- uh, component to it there's no coming back to just now we're going to release a game that is going to tell a very you know very sad and and, 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 and and story about immigrants coming into America and finding out that America isn't what they thought it now, was that'll go over great involved. in this generation yeah it, Jesus man it's it's such a fucking great story that we're never gonna see again from a great studio that mm-hmm. when they put their fucking mind to it they can do just about anything uh, but right now it looks like they're just gonna do bombastic Grand Theft Autos for the rest of their lives sad <laughs> sad wow all right. What do you got? All right, man. Let me uh, let me dive in with my number three of my top five favorite in-game DLCs. I've got uh, Leviathan DLC from Mass Effect 3. This one's going to be a little bit controversial. Uh, it's like, why is this so high? But if you're a Mass Ooh. Effect fan, you know this DLC in particular was huge when it comes to the lore of Mass Effect. This was like major plot revelation uh filling in a huge blank of how did the reapers come about like where do they come from who made them how did they exist like this dlc answers all of that in a really really cool way uh basically you meet um leviathan which is a old species that was like the the cream of the crop, like way, way, way before even the Reapers existed. Um, and long story short is you find out like other species kind of teamed up and took out the Leviathans. And so they try to create a counterintelligence to that um, in the form of, you know, like an AI kind of thing. And the AI came up with yeah. the concept of creating Reapers. And so the Reapers were programmed to basically wipe out every damn body. And yep. so that's how the cycle started and everything. So there's no war, only the harvest. Right. So you you basically meet the last living Leviathan who has been in mm-hmm. hiding this entire time. And you meet him, you get to talk to him, and he decides, I'm saying he just loosely, but it decides to help you uh, in the fight against the Reapers. And so if you do the DLC before the final mission, the Leviathan will help you like take out reapers uh in in the in the the final big battle so yeah. it's it was just epic it was like a mind-blowing moment for me i remember just sitting down playing it and then when i revisited it with the remasters i was like fuck this this is really important like this shouldn't even have been dlc that's how important it is like it should have been in the uh, main yeah. game um that's right but it it is just so phenomenally well written it fits right in it's it doesn't feel like it's overly like it doesn't feel cheaply retconned you know what i mean like it's like oh yeah yeah, and this thing was here too all along guys you believe that right like it feels like it was really there and integral um and so i have to say that it it's one of the best woven dlcs that i've ever played in terms of how well it meshes with the base storyline it's just really good really good stuff yeah, it should have definitely been part of it. It almost feels like it got ripped out of the game just for it to be DLC. Yeah. Probably was, though. You never know. Yeah. I mean, it was EA and yeah. BioWare kind of starting to take a weird turn. You could you could be right. You could yeah. be right. Uh, yeah. But what do you got, Pablo, as your number two favorite standalone DLC ever made? 
Yeah, it's Red, Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmares, and Shock to Nobody. Uh, you know, I think people are wondering, wait, if this is the number one, what is? We'll get there. Once you'll know, yeah. you know. But yeah, <laughs> Undead Nightmares, man, Rockstar was, like I said, in their fucking bag when it came to this DLC shit. I mean, I think, I think for me, taking that entire world of Red Dead Redemption and repurposing it with as a zombie game is a weird thing to do. Just off rip. Like, why would you do that? But they did it, and I think, and I think it. it for me, it just worked. Managing to hit like similar story moments with different music, like you got the Monster Mash when you cross yep. over to Mexico, uh, and taking characters from the game itself and giving them more to do, and yet them feeling exactly ex- where they should be with Seth and all those fucking crazy psychopaths. Uh, they they didn't have they didn't have didn't make a, a, another location or anything like that. They used what they had, and I thought for me was kind of like ingenious like i was like why don't more people do this like why don't more people take the base game and then make something else especially like if it's so um like there's a theme to it like it came out around halloween being yep. undead nightmare zombie all that good stuff and because it, it for me it really just worked it, it was just one of those things where i the concept of this was like what the fuck <laughs> and then you going through it is like man they and it could be and it could have gotten wrong because they really do try to repeat a lot of the story moments of red dead redemption in a condensed form but with with using the zombie apocalypse as a form of the storytelling vehicle and yet it works. It, it, it just works. I, I think seeing John Marston in that situation is is just fucking hilarious mm-hmm. to me. It, there's not really much to be said here other than if you don't even know what I'm talking about, just think about Red Dead Redemption in the game. And just think about that game having zombies everywhere. And that's what I'm talking about. And it's it's just awesome. It's it's, it's the best zombie game of all time, probably, if you're being honest with yourself. Uh, but yeah, that's my number two. I know you did not two. just say that like that. It was just casual talk. Like Resident I Evil mean, doesn't I think, exist. I mean, what, what, what's better? <laughs> like, what, what doesn't exist? Like Resident like Evil what? doesn't exist. The best zombie game of all time? No, I said I know I've been zombie open open world zombie game. Open of all time. world zombie game. Um, yeah, open world. Open yeah, I world. guess I'll yeah, give yeah. you that. I'll give you that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, Resident Evil. Come on, I'm man. I just played Resident Evil Four. That's just the to fight you with my hands, make you undead. Um, and, uh, worst missed opportunity <laughs> in the. <laughs> that was so dumb. Worst missed opportunity in the world is not getting an Undead Nightmares Two for Red Dead Redemption Two. That just what, what? stupid, stupid and I dumb. I just thought that was. I just thought that was baked into it. Like we're just gonna get under yeah. nightmares too because we got a brand new one. What would be dope and and years later is if they finally did that in a couple of years. But that's not happening. Here's what happens: happen. you kill, you you kill. Uh, what's his name? The lead guy. Wow, I'm blanking out on his name. I'm pulling a Pablo right now. What's the lead protagonist? Dutch name? No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Arthur. Arthur. Morgan. That's who he. he, Joel, he when when Joel, he Joel. dies in the main in the main game, he wakes up in Zombieville. And then you got Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2, Undead Nightmare 2. Right there. Easy. So just make everything red and orange and tingy. Now, fuck that. He dies. Uh-huh. He comes back alive as a zombie. And he's the main villain. And mm-hmm. you play as John Marston again. And, you know, you got that going on. And all he's got a special again, ability called Black Lung. Black Lung! <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. You play as Micah. That'd be great. No, that'd be Micah. terrible. Uh, Eradicate Black Lung. <laughs> All right, let me get to my number two, asshole. Uh, Number two, best in-game DLC of all time, Pablo. This was a tough one between this and my number one. But uh, this is a Marco-ass list, so I'm making it left behind from The Last of Us. This is one of the best 
man, if this was a standalone game, I would still love this just as much if it was its own thing. I almost wish this was like a full-blown game because that's how much I think it's integral to uh, The Last of Us storyline. I think people can probably see that more now that the show's out and that, you know, the episode where you, you get a chance to see that, you know, the, the basically the, the precursor to what happens with Ellie and Joel. This is so important. Um, and at its time, when it came out, you know, I, I think, thankfully, we're much more comfortable with, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus representation in games. And this was one of those games, you know, back in the, you know, 2014, I think, that, you know, broke that ground and, and or at least helped to um, in exposing that. And, and then just showing, you know, kids being kids and how to make do with bad circumstances, like narratively, writing wise. I mean, this was just impeccable stuff. Um I think the only reason why it didn't hit number one for me is I think the gameplay portion um, yeah. isn't exactly, you know, like a revelation per se. It just feels like it's a little bit, you know, kind of stripped down version of what you played with the Last of Us base game. Um, but other than that, I think the writing here and especially how this sets up Ellie's character, uh, especially with the immunity component of it and just her overall disposition about things and who she's lost and how that changes her attitude towards things. I think this is an essential thing to to play. And I think it's one of the best things that Naughty Dog's ever produced, period. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think... When that game came out, uh, the remaster, the remake, I thought they were going to implement that into the game itself because it feels yeah so integral to to, to the story. And I think it, it it really what it does for me it, it really just kind of makes even Ellie that more that's much that much more mm-hmm. compelling and and kind of expands the love between her and Joel what she had to go through in order to get him through that. So, uh, and 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 going back to that Riley stuff, which is amazing, man. I really, I really wish that they, they they put that into the game itself. I knew, but, I knew yeah. I loved it when I, I didn't I, want Riley to die, and I knew she was probably going to be dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Oh, and, and, and damn, they, 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 of course, this game is full of controversies because people uh, don't know uh, anything about anything, and so yeah. I, I. But I thought that the I thought the, the essence of, of 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 the Last of Us has always been love, and I think that carrying over to that itself and the love between those two and then how that you know bled into her love for joel and everything that it's just it's just a great fucking story and um yeah amazing it's a great pick i i i probably would have had that as my number mm. one if i was doing your list okay. uh but yeah well, speaking of number uh, ones let's num- go ahead and jump into yours yeah. what's your number one favorite standalone dlc about pablo the witcher 3 blood and vino blood and wine <laughs> um <laughs> Witcher 3 Blood and Wine, I love this uh, game, obviously, more Witcher, but the the fact that it's a DLC, and it is basically the sequel to uh, to Witcher 3, it really is, I mean, uh, just kind of the, the setting in Toussaint and, and, and the stories that are being told, the, the, the a lot of the, the side missions, all, all that stuff that you think about 3 in terms of how it bleeds over to the main mission, all that is there, it's more Geralt, it's it's him interacting with that world, and the sense of closure that you get in that game as well, that really felt like the end of a chapter, end of an era, um, I, you know, also just kind of the political implications throughout that world and the complexity of, uh, of that place, uh, and, you know, the vampire aspect of it, I think is fine, I, I you know, it's just another monster that's for, 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 um, 
for Geralt to slay. But I just love the 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 fact that not everybody is seems as they are who they are, right? They're not. There's no clear cut. There's no clear bad guys. Uh, well, there's one, but there's not many clear bad guys. And just just the complexity of that story and how they wove it into that game and how they made it. Uh, it's like 15 hours, 20 hours long, yeah. and, and just. It is just an amazing, an amazing time. I think for me, a lot of the story beats of Blood and Wine, because it's so condensed as well, uh, really kind of show what they learned from uh, for Wild Hunt and implement it here into Blood and Wine, giving us for me like the best encapsulation of The Witcher. Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, so um, in many ways, I almost like Blood and Wine better than the main game. Uh, in other ways, not so much, but uh, that's why Blood and Wine for me is the best uh, standalone DLC of all time. Yeah, I mean, both of them were great, but I think Blood and Wine, yeah, I think it's just yep. leagues yeah. beyond anything I think we've ever seen in terms of standalone DLC before. It's it's just incredible. Um, my yeah. my Hearts, personal Hearthstone was cool. My, my personal favorite is actually the first one. Um, Hearthstone, I, I like that one a little bit more, but it's it's a toss up, and I, I don't knock anybody for preferring uh, Blood and Wine because Blood and Wine is just. The location, the atmosphere, uh, the storytelling, like you said, the writing is just outstanding work. And it just it just shows that yeah. that that CD Projekt Red right there, they had it, dude. They had it. And that was, yeah. it, was it was a beautiful I, thing to see. Hearts of Stone is great because Hearts of Stone, it gives you a, a new view of Geralt that you've never yeah. seen before because he's technically not Geralt. He's possessed. But it, I love I love that too. I think that's just as good. Yeah, you know, honestly. My personal number one standalone DLC of all time will be Far Cry Three Blood Dragon, but that's just your boy. Uh, that'd be my little honorable mention on your list on your side. But yeah, that's a that's that's a good one. Yeah. Um, my number one favorite in-game DLC of all time. I'm going back to Mass Effect Three, guys. I'm sorry. Citadel DLC for Mass Effect. Yeah. If you if you know, you know. Okay. Um. Obviously, after the ending controversy, um, Bioware saw fit to create DLC to kind of rectify what people did not like about the ending and how they felt like there wasn't enough closure. Uh, and they followed up that with, I think, the the most flawless thing they could have done uh, to, to rectify that through the Citadel DLC, which I know we hate the term love letter on this show, <laughs> but it is the epitome of a love letter to uh the the mass effect fan base it was absolute fan service dlc in the best way possible it was a celebration a literal a literal party with every character or most every character in mass effect history it was hilarious it was touching it was um full of nostalgia and you know these like uh water cooler stories of things that happened in past missions together and it, it just was the literal perfect way to to bring that that trilogy to a close um it gave more time to the citadel itself which was interesting as well um you know a little bit more storytelling there which you know took that location from being just this hub place for the game into an actual place that you know has a home for you to go to and um you know friends you can go hang out with and stuff like that it was always iconic but they they, they really like fleshed oh it out. man i mean I, there's so many awesome moments in that dlc that that you know, I, 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 we're already running too long to get into all that. But I will say yeah. that um, it, to me, that redeemed the trilogy for me um, because it was like, okay, they, Bioware sees what we've seen all along. 
They they get what's so special because they did something like that for us. And I think that to me, and other people are going to be more hard asses about Mass Effect 3 than I'll be. I still think that game is great. I think it redeemed itself perfectly yeah. fine. Um, and this DLC, plus the one I mentioned earlier, Leviathan, I think those two was like the best one-two punch to save face for that game and it worked in my personal opinion so mm-hmm. if you haven't played mass effect somehow some way what's wrong with you if you haven't played this dlc for mass effect 3 there's definitely something wrong with you because uh, this is this yeah, is number for one sure. for me for sure um but that's gonna do it for our uh top dlcs of all time did we catch every game that you thought were gonna be on the list did you have one that you think we missed uh, hopefully we caught the ones that you like, but if we didn't, give a fuck. And also, yeah, hey, so why you wrong as hell? <laughs> why aren't you like us? Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's show. Until next time, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at It's Cooldown Time and subscribe to our show so you don't miss our future episodes. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.